You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, good morning, man. I'm super stoked that you met at church today, and I'm pretty excited, you know. In fact, I'm proclaiming today that Fiesta is going to continue. It's not going to end. We're going to keep on partying down. Uh, keep Fiesta going is the new movement, so you can tell. I'm feeling pretty good today, uh, but it hadn't always been that way. Okay, so uh, I want to take you back for a little bit to when I was in college and I went on this missions trip to an under-resourced part of Mexico. And while I was there, uh, the conditions were uh, not so great and I got sick. And I was well enough to, to travel home, uh, but when I got home, my sickness got worse, kept deteriorating. Uh, in fact, I couldn't get out of bed I had like these sores all over the inside of my mouth. I went to the doctor. He diagnosed me with chronic active Epstein-Barr, and I was struggling, man. Uh, In fact, uh, when I got well enough to get out of bed, um, I could just barely function. And then for a year, I was like tired all the time. I went into this deep depression. Well, uh, the church I was attending at the time, I went to church, And the church had this guest musician that day, and he was a harp player named Greg Buchanan. Now, I'm not really into harp music, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there were no, like, pedals connected to the harp to make it sound cool or uh, anything like that. Uh, But this harp player, I mean, he was so good at it that I couldn't help but be mesmerized. I mean, even though that wasn't my style of music, the guy was, like, all over that thing. He's like... You know, he's just going off, and he's like, kind of like the Jimi Hendrix of, Hendrix of harp players, you know? Uh, the guy would just go off on that thing, and so you couldn't help but be mesmerized by his playing. What impacted me the most about this dude and the experience with him was not so much the way he would play, but it was something he said. And he really didn't say much, but between harp songs, harp jams, I don't know, what, you, what do you call it, right? Uh, he stopped, and he, st- he oh, this is all he said. He said, I deal with depression. And then he smiled real big. And he said, but I made the choice to rejoice. And I thought, you know, there's something to that. I mean, I I don't like have like a harp station on my Pandora right now, you know. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's still not my thing. But I think that guy may be onto something. Because look, some of us are dealing with stuff that we don't have to deal with because we don't make the choice that in Christ we have the power to make Every single day, we can make a choice to rejoice. See, it's within our power. And I got this from the scriptures. If you go back to Psalm 118, 24, it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. So we've been thinking about mental health a lot during this series, right? And we've been looking at ways that we can grow in our mental health and get over mental illnesses. And we've been making the declaration, I choose to deal with how I feel, right? We have to make the choice to deal with it and do something about it. And over the past few weeks, we've looked at when we have anxiety, you know, that you can apply the calm acrostic, and that stands for something. If you want to learn more about that, you can go back and listen to the podcast from that particular week. Uh, Then last Sunday, we looked at how God gave us nature's medicine to help us maintain our mental wellness, and we saw how our animals biochemically affect us to help us heal. I got to invite Xander the 
dog, my friend, out on stage. That was fun. Church was a real dog and pony show last week. But uh, it's like nature and creation. How many of you got outside this past week and tasted some of nature's medicine? Uh, right on. So I'm glad to see that uh, because that helps us maintain uh, our mental wellness. And we've seen that there are many facets to our healing of mental illnesses, aren't there? I mean, there's the medical part and the biology of it. And that's why some of us need to use meds and stuff and doctors help us with that. But then there's also, you know, like counseling and therapy that we need to take advantage of. But look, don't leave God out of your healing process because God can work in medicine. He can work apart from medicine if he wants to. He can work in counseling and therapy or apart from it, however he chooses to work. He's sovereign in that. And so what does God's revelation say to us about um, mental wellness and how we can get free and change? Now, one of the threads that we've seen every single week is that it has to do with our thinking. It's all about what we Theme. And so I want to take you to a couple of reminders from the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every what? Thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then if you go back to Romans 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. It's all in our minds, and we have the power to make these choices. In fact, there was this really great English heart surgeon. He was also a pastor theologian that I love. His name was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a fascinating guy. And he said this, most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself, right? And so you think about it, a lot of us are just letting any old thought that flies around or flies into our head land on us, depress us, and bum us out. But we've got to start learning to talk to ourselves with the truth of God's word. And that's why we're gonna talk to ourselves today and make a declaration today. And it's the declaration, I make the choice to rejoice. Now look, you know the drill. You know I'm gonna make you say it out loud. You know we're going to do that. Okay, that is going to go down today. And I want everyone to play along. Don't bum me out. Fiesta is still going in my heart and my mind. But look, here's what some people do during the, the big declaration of the day sometimes. I look out there and I'm watching you. And some of you are just kind of like, I don't make the choice to read you. Whatever. Okay, look, today your face needs to know that you're making the choice to rejoice. See, rejoicing starts in here, in your heart, and then it works its way up to your face, man. Dude, I look at some people some Sundays, and they're just like, look like they've been marinating in pickle juice all week, dude. Come on, come on, man. Let's have a good time with it. And so here's what we're gonna do today. I want you to bust out the smile cam. So pull out your phones, and normally I don't like you jacking with your phones during my sermons, but I'm going to give you some grace today. Pull out your phones if you got one, and here's the way the smile cam works, is that when we make the big declaration together today, and some of you aren't getting your phones out, you're not filling my love tank. Come on, man. Don't be a buzzkill. Pull out those phones, and some of you need to point it at the person next to you. You came to church with someone. Uh, Some of you need to meet someone new. It's like, hey, you're good looking. Let me take a picture of you, bro. Okay. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to smile at some of you by yourself, take a selfie, whatever. But the smile cam is out today. And what I want you to do on three is we're going to say the great declaration together today. And then you can take a picture of someone next to you or yourself. And we're going to say with a smile on our face, I make the choice to rejoice. Are you ready? 
Got those cameras ready? Here we go. On three. One, two, three. I make the choice to rejoice. Okay, now let me tell you something. This isn't a prophetic word, but I know what something that just happened. Some of you are camera challenged. You know who you are. And what just happened just now is you're sitting there and just like, er, you press the wrong part of the screen. It's the circle you got to press on it. Man, come on. It's a circle in your screen. And you missed it and you missed the whole moment. And now you're just like, oh, I'm going to give you some grace today. So let's try it one more time. We'll say it out loud on three. One, two, three. I make the choice to rejoice. I just totally saved someone just now and got you that picture that you needed on the smile cam today. But look at this. Check this out. Okay, quit having fun. And let me just right up here. Okay, here we go. The choice to rejoice is a choice to be positive. It's a choice to be positive mentally. It's kind of like that little kid that he was out in the yard and he had his baseball bat and his baseball out there and his mom was watching him on the porch and he says, Mom, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And so he, he says, I'm going to show you this, Mom. So he takes his ball, he throws it up in the air, his bat, he missed. He's like, okay, strike one. But it's no problem. I got two more because I'm the greatest hitter in all the world. He throws the ball up again. He misses again. He's like, whoo. strike two. But it's no problem for me because I'm the greatest hitter in all the world. And he tries it one more time. He throws the ball in the air. This time he like spins around on his heels. He falls down on the ground. He strikes out gloriously and he stands up. And with boldness, he says, Steve, right three, I'm out. And then his mom's like, hey, you know, aren't you upset? I mean, you're supposed to be like the greatest hitter in the world, and you just struck out. And he's like, no, mom, because I just discovered I'm the greatest pitcher in all of the world, see? <laughs> and see, this kid had it going on. He knew that he was making the choice to rejoice. Now, look, I, I think most of us agree. Everybody knows it. You know, it's not new that positive thinking is a good thing, especially when we're feeling positive. Now, I've met some of those people that they can put on a smile even when things are going bad, and it's like they're smiling and happy through everything, and I kind of want to honestly want to punch them in the face sometimes, you know, when they're overly positive about uh, stuff like that, but here's the thing. It's what I'm coming to learn, and science now shows us, is that these overly positive people may be onto something. Positive thinking really does change your brain chemistry. It's not some magical change like, you know, when your grandma put an egg under the bed or something like that, but it's like a real biological change in your brain that leads to greater mental health. There's this book called The Brain That Changes Itself, Norman Doidge, and his science is called neuroplasticity. Can you say that out loud with me? Neuroplasticity. Okay, after church, try and saying it three times fast, and man, I, it's a challenge, right? But what it means is that our thoughts can change the structure and functions of our brain. So people with problems like strokes and cerebral palsy and mental illnesses can train other parts of their brain through repetitive and positive mental and physical activities. And here's how Dr. Deutsch put it. He said, the brain has the capacity to rewire itself and or form new neural pathways. If we do the work, just like exercise, the work requires repetition and activity to reinforce new learning. 
So our brains are like muscles that we can, with positive kinds of thoughts and truth, can literally remap and rewire uh, towards peace and mental health. Now, I'm not talking today about a kind of naive positivity, right? I mean, like, I can't play Kawhi Leonard at one-on-one in basketball and expect to win. That is, if his knee's not hurting, if he shows up, you know what I'm saying? But, um, so, look, but check this out. I like the way the late Zig Ziglar put it. Zig Ziglar said, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Isn't that the truth? And that's worth the price of admission today. It was free, by the way. It's like positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. And here's one of the things I want to show you today is that if you make the choice to rejoice, it means choosing abundance over scarcity. Now, those of us that operate or trying to operate in the ways of the kingdom of God, you see that Jesus taught us that I came that you might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. See, the kingdom of God is a kingdom. The way it works is abundance. God's not wondering where his stuff's going to come from or where his stuff's going to go. There's plenty to go around in God's economy of things. And I learned a lot about abundance versus scarcity from this guy named uh, Tim Sanders. He wrote this really great book some years ago called Love is the Killer App. And what he does in this book is he compares abundance with scarcity. And so people with a scarcity mindset, they believe that there's not enough to go around. That's why they hold so tightly to what they have. Um, But those of us that operate in abundance say there's plenty for everyone. Uh, So if you always describe your position in life by what you lack, you become a lackey, a scarcity lackey in those moments. And you know, it's like the news. Have you ever noticed, do people gravitate on the news to the positive news or the negative news? Well, we all know the answer, right? It's the negative news. And that's why I can't watch the news for too long because it bums me out. It just focuses on uh, negativity and scarcity. But um, one of the things that um, I, I was thinking about when I was thinking about scarcity and abundance here is that I used to work for this company and during part of my tenure there, they had a very negative outlook and they would train their salespeople to believe all buyers are liars. You see what that's doing? It's immediately creating a dysfunctional relationship between people who sell and people who are trying to buy the products. It immediately creates scarcity and mistrust, where on the other hand, if you look at companies like Southwest Airlines, which by the way, they trade under LUV or love on the stock exchange, they've expunged negativity from their corporate culture and they've been profitable since 1973. You know how hard that is to do in the airline industry where people are going bankrupt all the time, Um, but they've done it because of an abundance kind of mentality. See, and one of the things you'll see is that scarcity people always operate in their relationships like butchers. See, it's just fresh meat. Have you ever met someone like that, a, a manager? It's like, we got to get our corporate head count. There's the fresh meat. Or you see people do it in their dating relationships too, right? They just, it's like a parade of new fresh meat coming into their lives. Their, their friends never stay the same. They just always uh, cycling through. The people that they're going out on dates with cycling through. Their marriages just keep cycling through. But when we operate in abundance, our relationships are like we're, we're gardeners, see? 
Over the long haul, we invest in people. Over the long haul, we water and care for the plants and the garden you know, in the right time. They bear great fruit, don't they? That's the way we should think relationally when, when we operate in the abundance mentality. But then scarcity people turn every relationship into a competition. They're competitors, not community builders, see? They're competitors. They have to compete because there's not enough to go around. So they have to keep their position. They have to keep their title. But in abundance, we create community even with the people that would be perceived as a competitor. We don't have to protect everything we can release. Now, some years ago, I saw this study where the researchers were watching and observing a phone booth. Now, young people, do we know what a phone booth is? There, there was a day where not everybody had a phone, you know? And when people needed to make a phone call, they would walk into this little booth, you know, and there was a phone in there and you put a quarter or something in there and you, you'd get to make a phone call. I think they still have them in some places. But anyways, the researchers were watching the phone booth and what they did was ever so often, they would put a silver dollar in the phone booth. So someone's trying to make a phone call. They're like, whoa, silver dollar bonus. Good day for me. And then they staged this woman who would walk by the outside of the phone booth and she would drop all of her papers. And what they were measuring is which people would help her pick up her papers. And most of the time, the people that received a silver dollar in the phone book were the ones who were willing to help her pick up her papers because they had a mentality of abundance. They just received something. See, and that's why we have to train our brains to think in abundance. And so I want you to think about the good things that you do have, not what you lack, but what you do have. Because some of you have cars. Some of you own a car or you're paying on a car that you're going to own someday, right? Uh, Some of you have a really great apartment. Some of you own a home. Some of you own the land that your home is on. Some of you own uh, big portions of land. Now, look, there are people that own more than you, aren't there? You can always find them, but you don't focus on the people that have more than you. Then you become a lackey, right? But you focus on what you do have. Abundance people rejoice in what they have. For some of you, you can rejoice the fact that you got to enjoy a good, robust cup of coffee this morning while you looked out the window at the bird feeder. You know what I'm saying? Some of you can rejoice in the fact you got to see the smile of your kids or the smile of your spouse when you woke up in the morning. You can rejoice that you can breathe today, that you're alive to go out another day. Uh, You can rejoice that you have meat on your sandwich because some of us have gone to parts of the world where they don't get to have meat in the middle of their sandwich. Those of you that are vegetarians, you get to rejoice that you have just a little extra lettuce in your sandwich. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You have to have the mindset of abundance when we make the choice to rejoice. So it's like this lady, some of you have no doubt talked to older people that were in your family that lived through the depression, the Great Depression, and know that that was a time of lack. And there's this lady that endured the depression. Her name was Sarah. And uh, her family was down to one potato and they thought they might starve. Well, then a a neighbor comes over and brings an onion and another neighbor brings some flour. And before you know it, enough neighbors come over and they're all eating stew together. It's the stew of community, abundance, when we come together. But you know, most people don't experience that because they don't live in abundance. They live in scarcity. They have to hang on to just what they have, protect it. 
rather than experiencing the stew of community. It's like those, perhaps you've heard about how they catch, Indi- uh, catch uh, monkeys in Indonesia. What they do, because these monkeys will jack up their farmland or they're kind of hard in the environment. They eat everything up and tear everything up. So they used to like blow these darts up at them and the monkeys would die from the fall. And they didn't want them to die. They just wanted to relocate the monkeys. And so they had to find a different method. So they hollowed out these gourds. They drilled a hole in the gourd and they put some peanuts in it and tied the gourd to the tree. And so you know what happens. I mean, the little monkey comes down the bottom of the tree to get those peanuts. He reaches his little monkey hand in there and he grabs a hold of those peanuts. Then dude comes out with a net, covers it over the monkey. He's capturing himself a monkey, right? Well, why did the monkey get captured? Because he won't let go, right? He won't let go. His hand's stuck in the gourd and the gourd's tied to the tree. And so look, God desires us to be free not captured like those Indonesian monkeys. And so I want to do a little exercise with you right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This can be so hard for some of you because some of you are so wound up and you're so uptight. But I'm going to ask you to reach into your pocket or grab some pocket change, reach into your purse or your pocket or your wallet, just grab some change. If you don't have any change like me, I just have a bill here. Just put it in your hand and put your hand out in a fist just like this. I know it's hard. You're like, oh, no, why is he doing this? This is the dumbest thing. I can't believe he'd do this. Someone sitting up in the balcony just crossing your arms. I'm not going to play. Well, you just stay there in your pickle juice, Jack. (laughs) Cafe, I'm looking at you too. Get your uh, coins or whatever in your hand just like this, and here's what we're going to do. You got it out in your hand? I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to say these two words, and the two words, we're going to put them on screen. It's I have. Now, I hadn't told, pointed at you yet, so just hold on. I know you're excited, but I appreciate your effort there. And then when, when we say, I have, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just let go of what's in our hand. If you're comfortable to do if you're not comfortable, I understand. I know the struggle is real, okay? So on three, ready? One, two, three, I have. Some of you are just like, <gasps> monkey. Chunky monkey, man. (laughs) By the way, if you really need what you just dropped, later on, just discreetly gather it back up. But if you don't, we're going to gather up what has dropped on the floor, and all of it's going to go to Strong Foundation Ministry for Homeless Families. Is anyone on board with that, right? And see, all of you who operate in a sense of abundance, you're like, yes. It was so good to release and not be the monkey. It's so good to operate in abundance. And the way God designed you and I is to open our hands and turn it around because he's a God of abundance and he likes to pile on us abundance as we let go in generosity um, in the sense of abundance. So um, making the choice to rejoice, here's a third truth doesn't mean glossing over pain. Can't just gloss it over. Need to rejoice through trials and problems, but you can't gloss it over. You have to get that stuff out. In fact, there's this Old Testament book. It's kind of obscure. Not a lot of people like to read it, and it's called Lamentations. The abbreviation is lame, (laughs) okay? (laughs) And it was written by this prophet who dealt with depression, Jeremiah. 
And so the book, the reason people don't like to read it is because the dude just goes on and on and on about how upset he is with God because he's depressed and he's not feeling so good. Um, so maybe you felt like Jeremiah, look at Lamentations 3, 2 through 6. And he's talking about God here and he says, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He's having a pretty sucky day, isn't he? It's like, I feel like those long dead. And you know, uh, a lot of people always want to get it out, don't they? You know what you call it when you get all your yuck out and don't do anything about it? Country music. It's exactly what that is, country music. But I thank God, sorry, country music fans. The truth will set you free, man. But look, I had these counselors for years. I've gone to five different counselors. I've told you that before because I need it. And one of them explained to me that depression or bad feelings are like waves in the ocean. And sometimes you feel like you can't breathe even. But she, what the counselor says is just like, you just have to endure that wave. And aren't you glad that Jeremiah had the wherewithal not to just get his stuff out there, but turn the corner and make the choice to rejoice? Let me show you Lamentations chapter three, verse 21. Look what he does. He says, yet this I call to mind. Remember, it's in our minds. We have to adjust our minds and our thinking. He says, I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great, what? Love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new. Every morning, great is your faithfulness. And so it's like every morning we can come to him because what you'll feel on Sunday, which is good, uh, the cloud may try and come on Monday and you have to make the choice to rejoice every morning embrace his love. And the thing about the love of Jesus is it's designed not to just to be something you get in your head, but it's got to move to your heart. You've got to allow yourself to feel it, you know? Uh, it's like designed to melt us and to move us and to inspire us. In fact, his love can often seem kind of trite and cliche because we talk about it so much here, but don't let it become trite and cliche to you. Look, I know it seems kind of ridiculous because God's love in the Bible, uh, Jesus tells us that he leaves the 99 to save the one. What happens if something happens with the 99 over there? It seems like borderline irresponsible, but that's just how crazy he is in love with you that he'll leave the 99 for the one he chases after you is what he does, you know? It's like, um, and he can't stand it. He just couldn't stand it when the one is away from him. Uh, that's the way he intensely feels about you. In fact, he felt that so intensely that he left heaven to go to a Middle East hellhole for you. How many travel agents you know that are like banking on selling trips to Syria right now? But that is precisely what Jesus did for you. He came into a Middle Eastern hellhole and was himself murdered on the cross because he loves you, see? And if 
someone today would just receive that truth, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. In the moment you believe that, you just think it in your head, in your heart. And you're, you become his child if you weren't before. You, you know him. And also some people today are dealing with a shadow. I like to refer to depression as like a shadow. It's almost like a dark cloud. Other people feel that mental peace or mental wholeness is at the top of a mountain and you keep trying to scale that mountain and just don't appear to be able to get there. It's like, I'm trying with all my might, but I can't get to the top of the mountain and experience peace. So you got shadow, you got a mountain, and then other people feel like wellness is on the other side of a wall and it like your depression or your mental illness or your problem is like a wall that keeps you. You can't go over it. You can't seem to get under it or around it. How do you get through that wall onto the other side? So there's a shadow, a mountain, a wall, and then there are lies that some of us are believing that Satan gives us, you know? It's just these thoughts that float into our head about identity and who we are. And you believe that you're not lovable or that you're not acceptable somehow or that you're less than, but God is saying to you, no, you're my adorable, beloved child, is what he wants to say. So we've got these, a shadow, a mountain, a wall, and lies. And that's why I love this song, Reckless Love, that our band plays, is because some of the lyrics go like this. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. And that's how he feels about you today. He's coming for you today. Look, there's 99 out there somewhere that he's left to come for you today. See? And so would you do this? Would you be willing to come and kneel before him today at the front as we worship? And as you kneel, I want you to pour out like Jeremiah did your feelings of pain and hurt and grief and depression and anxiety or whatever it may be. Would you also be willing to come and kneel and pray as uh, I come and put a hand on your shoulder and some of my friends that I've empowered to do this, um, some of our prayer leaders and friends around the church are, are empowered to come and put a hand on your shoulder and pray for Pray the love of God all over you. The reckless, abandoned, crazy, leave the 99 out of his mind for you, love over your life today. Would you receive that? So let's stand up together. And as we stand, some of you come, kneel and pray as we worship and sing at the top of our lungs about this great love. And Lord, we thank you. And we bow before you just receiving all over this room the love that you're pouring over us you're embracing us with, some of us that we've never received before in our lives, never experienced before. Some have like gone to church a lot of times, but never actually felt the presence of your spirit. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. We're just like totally rooting out any negativity. We're rooting out all those lies that just float into our heads because we know it's not coming from you, Holy Spirit. Those lies about our identity those lies about the way you see us, Jesus, we're not receiving any longer. And we're gonna begin walking in, operating in the truth of your word. Thank you for the healing that you're bringing all over this room. Someone perhaps has felt like you just screwed up too much. And it's like, dang, I keep screwing up. I keep falling down. And there's no way God's, I mean, it's like three strikes and you're out. It's gotta be that. And the Lord's saying, no, 
no, no, no, no, no, my child. You don't understand how, how it works. I didn't go to the cross just to give you three strikes. The cross gives you more strikes than you know what to do with. You're my beloved child. And so let my grace lead you to repentance, not from some guilt or shame. And I'm praying today that God would like totally free someone from a depression, a cloud of it that's been on their life for a long time. And you've tried a bunch of stuff to get over it. You've like, you've already been to the counselors, which you should. Maybe someone prescribed you meds and you should take them. But today I'm praying that God just completely heals it where you don't need any of that. And you can be one who's been a wounded healer. You've been wounded in the past and now you're gonna go and heal others who are wounded. And words are going out for some from the Holy Spirit of God. He's like giving you a picture or a word or a thought in your heart and in your head today. And it's totally the picture you needed to receive today from the Holy Spirit. And it's gonna lead towards deeper levels of his presence. Because that's really the goal, Lord, is deeper levels of intimacy and connection with you. Even our healing is not the goal, but it's you're the goal. And your perfect love casts out fear. And your presence brings healing and grace. And for that, we can't thank you enough. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You guys. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.